with you, if you, you may be seated for a minute, we're going to, we'll close out with uh, one other song, but uh, this morning's a little different, and uh, once a year we get to sing some uh, of those awesome and wonderful uh, Christmas songs of praise and worship, and um, we, we remember what for us is a daily experience, and that is the coming of Jesus, not just into the world, but into my life, into my heart. Can you say amen? Amen. What I'm going to do this morning is um, share with you just four things to remember about Jesus. That, um, that one that the world stops to consider, the babe born in the manger. We want to make sure that we know who he is. Can you say amen? amen? The very start of the Gospel of John John opens up and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then moving down to the 14th verse, he says, And the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Well, the first little fact about Jesus that I want to make sure that you have this morning is that the Son of God is God. Let me say that again. It seems redundant for us, but... But you need to understand the implication. The Son of God is God. Hallelujah. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Not was a God or something like God or a piece of God or a chunk of God or um, some sort of um, projection of God, but the Son of God is God. Hallelujah. We weren't there at the beginning, the beginning of reality, when God set the stage of the known reality, the created universe, whatever that beginning was, it was initiated by God himself stepping onto the stage as the Son of God. When the invisible God of eternity stepped onto the stage of reality, the opening act of reality, the opening act of all that is, was God stepping out, and we know that God as the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word then went on in the process of time, the Word became flesh. In uh, verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. So, In the process and the fullness of time, God in His absolute perfect purpose enters history as that babe born in the manger, but still underscoring the fact that the Son of God is God. We see Him come into the world in human form, but let us make no mistake, the personality, the personhood of the God-man who was born of that virgin through the Holy Spirit, 
That personality was supplied by the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth, throughout his 29 and a half years on the earth, is at all times the Almighty God. In John 16, Philip says, well, show us the Father. You're talking all these abstract terms that are giving me a headache. Just reveal the Father to me. And Jesus says, have you been with me so long and don't you know me? If you see me, you've seen the Father. And the blind man, I think it's in John chapter 9, whose eyes Jesus opened, finds him later after the Pharisees had given him a hard time about being healed on the Sabbath day. Uh, sees Jesus and he says, well, I understand that the Messiah is going to come. And Jesus says, I'm he. And the man falls down and worships him. And Jesus doesn't stop him. Jesus is conscious his whole life that he is God. I just want you to understand that at no time was he ever less the I am of all eternity. The one who stepped onto the stage at the beginning, the Word made flesh. The Son of God is God. Fact number two about Jesus is that God, the Son, takes on human nature. One of the greatest, in fact, the greatest event of all human history was the Incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God steps down into humanity in order to lift up man with divine grace and nature, in order to give us not only the grace of forgiveness, but the grace of the power to be a new creation and to give to us a new nature. He steps down from his eternal glory into human nature. Now listen carefully. He is not humanity deified, but God humanized. Humanity isn't elevated up by the hand of God into Godhood, but God steps down into our situation and takes on human nature. And in Hebrews chapter 1, probably one of the greatest statements about Jesus and not only who He is, but what He is, because He is unique. The Bible calls Him the second Adam, but He is not just simply human type A. In fact, even though He takes on a human nature, He is not a human personality. He has human nature, but He is God tabernacling with a human nature. But you need to understand God becoming or taking on human nature. As I said, he, he steps down in order to lift us up. And one of the great verses that talk about this, as I said, is Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning. In verse 1, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Everyone say the radiance, the radiance. of the glory of God. And secondly, he is the exact imprint 
of His nature. And say that with me. He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe. King James says He upholds all things. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Well, that third verse, He is the radiance of the glory of God and He is the exact imprint of His nature is pregnant with revelation and power as to who we celebrate today, who we worship, who we preach. We're making the point that God takes on a human nature. When he says he is the radiance of the glory of God, he uses a phrase that embodies the idea of the effulgence or the shining forth of light. And if I could just save time and break it down for you, make it real simple. He's saying Jesus is not only the light that is emitted, but he is the light source that creates the light that is emitted. When you turn on a light, we see light in the room, and we don't see light fighting against darkness. We don't see a struggle. Darkness that once filled the room, the condition that filled the room, that condition just simply exists no more. Light has dispelled and driven darkness even from the shadows. Glory to God. Jesus is not just the projection of the light. The world saw only the light as it was in the world. Babe in the manger, 29 years later, there's Jesus and he's preaching, and he's raising the dead and healing the sick, and he, people are just clinging to him and, and receiving hope, and it's like the heavens have burst open, and the glory and the love uh, is pouring out, and the world is seeing God is kind. They're seeing God cares about me. Um, most people lived in the shadows of a kind of religious tyranny, if you will. Most people were never going to measure up to the standards of religion, never be accepted. They never had enough clout, enough juice, if you will, perhaps enough money, enough intellectual to be, to be in the inner circle, the inner religious circle. But it was to those who were in the shadows, forgotten, who were never going to be accepted by the churches of that day, Jesus Light reaches to them. And they all have a choice. They could just stew in their bitterness and turn away. Or they could be broken in their bitterness and turn to Him and cling to Him. And oh, by the tens of thousands, they came out. Out into the wilderness. Out into the rivers. Out into the streets. To cling to Jesus. They brought their broken. They brought their sick. The light was shining. But this phrase, he is the radiance of the glory of God, means theologically that not only is he the light that man saw, he's the light that sent the light. He's not like the prophets. That's what Hebrews is saying. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God used a person. God bounced his signal, if you will, off the satellite of some prophet's head. But Jesus is no prophet. He is the very radiance. He is the light and the shining. He's the light and the shining. He's the light and the shining. So <clears throat> the prophet 
could say, thus says the Lord. But then when they grabbed him and threw him in a pit and wanted to kill him, he could say, look, I'm just the messenger. If you don't like what I said, take it up with God. But Jesus said, you just go right ahead and put me on the cross because everything I've said and everything I've done has been the Father saying it and the Father doing it. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? So he is the radiance of the glory of God. So I want you to understand, when you open your Bible and you read in the Gospels the words of Jesus, when you see his acts of love and kindness and you say, that's, that's me he's picking up. That's me that he's reaching out to. I want you to understand, that is the Father through Jesus reaching out to you. He is the light of the eternal and what the Bible refers to as the great invisible God. He's God making himself seen and known. Then he goes on and says, he is the exact imprint of his nature. How many of you remember those little toys? It was kind of a wooden block that had, I guess, hundreds of little pins in it, and you could put the shape of your hand or something in it, and it would make an exact, press your face into it, and it's like, oh, there's my face. Well, when... Um, when God, who is invisible, wanted to impress himself, we offer baptism services for telephones that go off. <laughs> um, when God wanted to press his face into history, he wanted us to see everything about his heart towards us. He wanted us to understand him. He saw that mankind had his man's imagination in his fallen state, having left the garden when Adam and Eve were expelled. Um, and especially as, as time goes on, you know how rumors get distorted as they pass on. So the concepts of God and what he was like were just ridiculous. Even among those who were the stewards, the prophets, the priests, the concept, the image of God had become so distorted that God said, I must myself make an impression on the world. I want the world to see exactly who I am and what my intention is. For God so loved the world, he made an impression. Jesus is both the impression and the impressor. Let me say it again. When you see Jesus, you see whatever needs to be seen of God. You're not going to go to heaven one day and get surprised. You're not going to go up there and, and face an angry God with a club and a nail through it and say, where's that Jesus guy that I used to pray to? I like him. There's... The Father, the Son, they are one. They are, they are, the, they are, in fact, if I could say this without freaking anybody out, although I think people should get freaked out in church once in a while, because we need to be freaked out of some of the positions that we hold in this life. But uh, without freaking out too much, let me say to you that, that uh, the Son is the Father, the I Am, making Himself known to us. That would be appropriate way of thinking about Jesus. Instead of the old man, the boy, and, and the bird, and they're, they're working together. 
And we're just all praying, oh, I pray they stay together. I pray they stay together. The wonderful triune Godhead, the, the, the Trinity that we worship. We in our human, uh, in our human comprehension need to be careful that we understand that this is not like three different people who are similar or the same, and so they're working together. So you need to understand that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is the one who made the impression, and he is the impression that is made. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Well, of course, he created all things. So when, when God, we're still on point two, that, that God took on human nature. There were not two personalities merged into one, struggling for supremacy. All of these movies, I saw recently a, a movie, Killing Jesus, Bill O'Reilly's movie. And I kind of like Bill O'Reilly, but his movie was a bomb. It was horrible. His premise was so bad. And I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. You can read the book, but read it like a piece of fiction. Because the Jesus in his movie is like the Jesus that the world constantly draws a picture of. He's discovering himself. He's coming to himself. He's, he's coming throughout his ministry. He's kind of, John the Baptist has got to talk him into doing the will of God. It's just, it's ridiculous. And um, the fact is that Jesus was not a being that had a human side and a divine side wrestling that as he goes throughout his day, he's constantly struggling. Should the human part of me win out or should the divine, the God part of me win out? He is, his personality is God, the Son of God. He's not a human personality and a divine personality in there fighting for the domination of the will. The will is always, always has been the will of the Father in him. And so, so it is, so it is, hallelujah, that uh, Jesus, who preexisted as the eternal I am, has assumed human nature at the incarnation. Hence, the angel announces, you shall call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the reason that's important for you and I on a practical daily basis is because Jesus' personality, who we worship, who we praise, who we follow. His personality is the Logos, the eternal Word of God. His personality is the Agape, the God kind of love. God is love. So the personality of Jesus is the Logos, is the Agape, speaking through the human nature that He assumed. It's not through a human being he was using. It's through a human nature that he became. In other words, God leaves eternity, enters history, takes on human nature, and <clears throat> he saves you with himself. He doesn't borrow a human being to ride around for 30 years or 33 years in that he's going to jump out of and go, whoa, that was horrible. 
and, you know, go back into eternity. When, when, and this brings me to my third point. My third point about Jesus is love came down. Everyone say, love came down. You see, love could do nothing less than to take on human nature. What God was going to do for us, He couldn't do through the means of some agency. He couldn't do it with a religion. Whether it was the, the uh, covenant keeping of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, or speaking through prophets, God could not save man who was lost in sin, corrupted at the root of his nature from within. He couldn't do it through any religious agency. God had to do it himself. He saves you with himself. He doesn't save you with an example. He doesn't save you with a higher, more noble ideal. He saves you with himself. We would fail at the perfect ideal, and we did fail at the perfect ideal. Let me also say to you about love. Sometimes we take that twofold commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember they came to Jesus, they said, well, how do we summarize the law? Jesus said, love God and love others as yourself. Well, too often Christians think that's the New Testament law. But Jesus never said that was the New Testament law. Jesus said that was the summary, the consolidation, if you will, of the law of the Old Testament. And could I say this to you, and I hope nobody gets offended this morning, but I've never met anybody, beginning with myself, that's ever kept that law of love. If the New Testament is all about consolidating the law into the simple principle of loving, we've all failed. I only know one person that's loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, strength. And I only know one person who's loved his neighbor as himself. And that's the one of whom it is said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so the one that loved God perfectly is God who took on a human nature. There was a man. There is a human. There is a person, if you will, who loved God perfectly and fulfilled that law. And so 1 John chapter 4 says this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And gave himself to be the mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins. So what he is simply saying is God loved God for you. He became a man. He took on humanity. Love came down. That was necessary because God could not save you with a shining ideal on a hill. God could not save you with a great sermon or a great message. You and I have heard great, great messages. We've sat in our personal private devotionals or in our prayer time. We've been in the middle of our prayer closet and had these encounters with the Holy Spirit that are life-changing. But how many of you would say honestly this morning that it did pass like water through your fingers, like smoke through your fingers? It passes away. It doesn't remain. We don't hold on to. And so we live a continuous fellowship with God. We're having to continuously, because it's not an experience that saves. It's not an ideal. It's not a revelation He imparts. It's He Himself. He saves us with Himself. Hallelujah. That's why they were clinging to Jesus. You know, it must have taken Him forever to get through those villages. Because He's going along and they're, they're just hanging on Him. I guarantee you, look, um, 
I don't think those people were more polite than we are today. And I, and I, and I believe that desperate people were just hugging him. Don't leave. Don't go. There's a reason why they clung to Jesus, because he was agape. Love came down. This is why he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All other kings are kings by manipulation or by impartation. All other lords are lords because they know how to use the power around them. They know how to use wealth, but none of them created that wealth. None of them created that power. And Oh, I want to make a comment so bad. <laughs> Please don't confuse what I just said with, with some of the ridiculous ideas we've heard recently over the past few years. You know what I'm saying. So the, the point is that we came into this world with nothing. And whatever we amass, the lords of this life, the kings of the earth, whatever they gather, they, they have to use their influence to gather it. It's not that I mean it's bad, but every king presides over silver and gold and power and things that, that were there before. But Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, because his reign and his rule is completely from him, by him, and through him. He didn't send someone to save us. He himself saved us. When he wondered that there was no intercessor, his holy arm, his arm himself, reached down in love. It was his love that saved you. I remember the night I got saved as an atheist. What a shock to go within a brief minute of time, less than a minute, from complete darkness to complete light. To go from one who absolutely is convinced there's no such thing as God to knowing Him by name and going, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. He saves you with His love. How did I know that? How did all of a sudden I go from dark? Because love entered me. All I had known was human love, but when the agape love of God entered my life, I knew it. I felt it. It lit me up. Hallelujah. It lit me up. I'd been lit up before (laughs) by other things. So I knew when the capital L, light of life, in him was light, and that light was the light of life. When the light of life lit me up, hallelujah, I knew it was different. Somebody say praise the Lord. Love came down in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. We all know it. Love never. Love never. Stepping into humanity for the Son of God was not reversible. What I've said to you up till now about the Son of God is God. And he, and he took on a human nature. This was not a mission where he, he came into the world and used a human nature as some kind of shield. You know, as some sort of camouflage so that he could come among us only to, at Calvary's cross, discard that humanity. He may have experienced the death of his body. But even that body was raised from the dead. He didn't discard the human nature. He didn't even discard the body. He bodily rose from the dead. 
They stood there and watched the body ascend into heaven. Days and weeks later, he appeared in bodily form. And in bodily form, the Bible says he will return again bodily just as he went up. The humanity of Jesus was not borrowed. It was a permanent acquisition. God becoming human didn't change his personality, didn't change his deity, but it added to him a human nature. Irrevocably, irreversibly. If I could be a little dramatic, um, this might drift a little theologically, but it it's makes for good drama. When Jesus, the babe, is exposed, the eternal Son of God is exposed in the manger. He's lying there, the elements. I mean, what is more helpless than a baby? The eternal Son of God is now lying as a baby in a manger. It is mind-blowing, isn't it? He lives this unique life. He's not like any human that has ever lived. He's not just human. He is God with a human nature. So there's nothing that's ever been like him. But in his mission in life, at the end of his life, he stands before the governor, Pilate, in Jerusalem. He's on trial. The church wants to um, uh, put him to death because he claims to be God. And he says to Pilate, he says, you know, I could release you and I want to release you. Please help me help you. Please help me help you. In in spite of Pilate's good intentions, the devil was speaking right through him. Let me help you help yourself. I mean, tell me something. Jesus says, I was born crucified. How does the devil fight against a man who is born crucified. How does he fight against him? He tries to get him to abandon the the love and save himself. But the reality is that would never work. That would never work. Because the love that Jesus came into the world with could only, was what sent him to the cross. That's what sent him to Calvary. The Bible says, though his humanity shuddered at the thought of Calvary's cross and what he was about to go through. The Bible says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, more than the pain perhaps, the shame of the cross. The eternal almighty God is about to hang on that cross. But this is love that came down. So when he takes on human nature, he cannot lose if, <clears throat> because he can't shed that human nature. That's what I'm trying to say to you. He can't jettison. It's not like the booster rocket, you know, that falls off as, as you know, the, the uh, satellite starts entering outer space. Um, when he becomes a man, this is an irreversible condition. Now, to me, That is mind-blowing, and it does really rattle me when I think about this great agape. It it sets it apart from every other love, the love of friends, the love of of a husband or a wife, every other kind of love. It's different. It is just different because the love of God caused him to step into his creation. 
to take on a human nature in order to save us. In fact, could I say to you that God didn't create the universe because He's gifted, bored, so full of creativity, you know an artist must paint. The, the reason that God stepped out of the eternal, eternal and created reality is very simple. God is love. And love desires to give. Love is a giving characteristic. And at his heart, God is a giver. For God so loved the world he gave. So he, he sees himself with us for all eternity. And he begins to unfold the drama by stepping out onto the stage as the Son of God. Adam was literally fashioned after the image of Jesus, the Son of God. Adam was created after that image. Adam was designed, engineered, if you will, to be redeemable. He was designed according to the Redeemer. So he was made savable because God knew full well that he would fall, that he would use his free will to turn against God. He knew the devil was out there and would talk to him, and if he would talk, man would listen. So the point is, the only way that God could truly love us is to become us. And he does that. There was not going to be a failure. The devil could not trick Jesus into failing. You cannot beat love. Love never fails. It's as simple as that. Whatever Jesus was going to go through, it would affect all of mankind. As I said, what could the devil do to a man that was born crucified who came into the world to give his life? His salvation was his death. The salvation of Jesus was his death. That was the joy set before him because through it he would gain us. And brings me to my final point that I want to close with this morning. He brings us divine pardon and nature. He becomes humanity. Love comes down all for that one reason. That scripture that we opened up with, and the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Notice how the word grace precedes the word truth. Grace, then truth. The eternal Son of God offered Himself as the sinless Son of Man in order to make the sinful sons of men the beloved sons of God. No, that sounds like a little twist on words, but the eternal Son of God steps down into humanity, becomes the Son of Man, in order to make the sinful sons of men the beloved sons of God. I said this a couple of months ago, and it was like setting off a bomb in the room. We got what Jesus deserved. He took what we deserve so that we get what He deserves. When Jesus rose from the dead, what did his obedience, his sacrifice purchase for him? A name above every name. All power, all dominion, all authority given to him. Every enemy put under his feet. Everything Jesus gave, everything Jesus earned, I'm sorry, everything Jesus earned, hallelujah, everything he deserved, he gave to us. 
He gave to us. We get what Jesus deserves. Thank God that He took away from me what I deserve in order to give me what He deserves. Hallelujah. And when He gave you His grace, the grace of the pardon and forgiveness and the wiping away of your sins, the grace of the power to become a new creation. When I began my series on, on I, uh, by grace I am what I am, Paul said, one of the things that I shared with you week after week in the beginning of the message is reinforcing in you that grace is not permission to be less, it's the power to be more. Amen. Grace is not permission to stay the same, it's the power to change. Grace in our life is constantly resurrecting and bringing forth the purpose and life of God in us. So when He gave you His grace, it changed the truth about you. We saw and received Jesus who was full of grace and truth. You received His grace so that you didn't have to deal with the truth about yourself. The truth about yourself is that you were lost as a broken sinner, as lost as anyone could ever be, without hope in this world. That was the truth about you. Whether you believed it or not, or whether other people believed it or not, that was the truth. You know the truth is whatever God says the truth is. That's reality. But the truth about us is that we were lost. But Jesus came in the grace and in the love of God, and in that grace took away our sins. In that grace made us His sons and His daughters. That changed the truth about you. The truth about you today is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. That you have received, been blessed with, transformed by Jesus. You've been saved not only by Him, you've been saved with Him. He saved you with Himself. He's not leading you. He's walking in you. He's not telling you what to say. He's talking in you and I. When we fellowship with Him, we can see that new nature that He's put in us. You know how God teaches you in the Holy Spirit? You ever Have you figured it out when you're in your prayer closet or reading? Have you figured out what God's classroom is like? You intuitively know things. They just float up from the inside. You read the Word of God and up comes a spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of Him. You just begin to see that nature within you, the divine nature begins to speak. Hallelujah. And so in that first chapter of John that I begin and I'm going to close in, in verse 12, in that John chapter 1 where it says, The Word was God, the Word became flesh. It says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on His name. Now I know the world stops to uh, honor this Jesus. But we, we know Him. Hallelujah. Who He is. We know who you are, Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the love of God made flesh. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise well, if the, if the musicians, we're working with, a, with about half of our music ministry today because, yes, the, they're traveling with a number of number of our other members. But you know what? We are going to praise the Lord as we leave this house today. 
Would you stand with me? And could, could you just join me right now for a moment before we sing anything and just lift up your praise to the Lord and magnify Him. Hallelujah. Give Him glory. Come on, lift up His name. Jesus is worthy. Thank you, Lord. You are holy. You are the mighty God. There is none like you in all the heaven and the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 